0: Hey guys, let's welcome in our online family as well. We got family uh, here in Atlanta, as well as Nigeria, Mexico, South Africa. And Linda May shared the service. What's up, Linda May? Thank you for sharing online on social. Um, hey guys, hey, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a little boy, I did what little boys do. I I used to have two little boys, they're not as little now, 14 and 18, but um, uh, they did the same thing I did, I did the same thing they did. We run around the neighborhood, we we try and die, like repeatedly, <laughs> running out into traffic, just doing craziness, and I have these core memories of my parents yelling out from like the kitchen while I'm sprinting out the front door, Look both ways before you cross the street. And as a kid, it's kind of in one ear and out the other, right? But in hindsight, look both ways may actually be the best advice that we could ever get in our entire lives. And the big idea is this before we cross over to the other side, we need to know what's coming. Come on, fam, am I in the right place today? Right, Like before we, we, we leave the temporal and we step into the eternal, we need to look both ways and know what's coming. And if you're just kind of tuning in with us, we have been in a journey this year through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. And we are like right on the tail end of it, almost like right in the middle of Matthew 7. And it's here in the middle of Matthew 7 that I believe we get, in, in my opinion, the 11 most difficult verses in the entire Bible. These are the 11... toughest things that that Jesus say, Um, they're not tough to understand, they're just tough to listen to, because what Jesus says impacts us, it has ramifications for us, for for our world, for the people that we know, for our friends, and for our family. These words are incredibly important, and last week, we kicked off with the first two verses of those 11 verses. Here it is, Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus, the kindest person to ever exist, most loving, love embodied, says you can enter God's kingdom Only, everybody say only, Only. through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Whew, And here's what we talked about last week. It is the opposite. What Jesus says right there is the opposite of the way that everybody thinks that it works, right? Like, if you walked up to somebody on the street, they would say, wide is the path to heaven, and narrow is the path to hell. Pretty much everybody's going to be in heaven. Only if you like Hitler's going to be in hell, and that's about it, right? But Jesus actually flips that on its head and says, actually, wide is the path to hell and very narrow is the path to heaven. In fact, the path to heaven is single file, one person at a time. You can't can't bring your mama's faith in there with you. Come on, you can't bring a praying grandma in there with you. it's just you. And at the end of that single file line is a single door, and that door's name is Jesus. And I know we don't often think about eternity, I know we don't often think about things like, like death, But that's why God has to shake us up sometimes. So in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God says this, that God, he has planted eternity in the human heart. The reality is, guys, you will exist forever. I will exist forever. We will all exist forever. So the question isn't whether or not we're gonna exist forever. The question is geography. Where will we exist forever, all right? So what we've gotta do is, before we cross over to the other side, we need to look both ways. So if you were here last week, you know it was a hell of a sermon. Because <laughs> we, lit- we looked this way, and we literally looked at hell. We, yes, we spent an entire sermon talking about hell. Why? Because we have to. And it was sober, and it was heavy, but there's hope even in the midst of that, right? Here's the reality. The most loving one to ever exist, Jesus Christ, talks more about hell in the Bible than anybody else. And Jesus talks about hell as conscious, eternal, burning, worm-eating, torment, and separation from God forever. And that sounds terrible, and it is, but here's the truth. Hell wasn't made for you. Hell was made for the devil, right? But those who join the devil's rebellion get the devil's reward. That's the reality. But praise God, because God's heart isn't even that one should perish, but that all should come to repentance and everlasting life. So God didn't have to make a way, but God made one way. In that way's name is Jesus. He so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ gave up his life for us to take our death so that we could live as he lives even now so that we could be blameless before the Father so that we would never have to taste the second death. We would never have to taste hell itself. And last week, praise God, across all of victory, hundreds of people came to faith in Jesus. Come on, somebody. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to faith in Jesus. A lot of you came to Faith in Jesus, jumped into our New Believers class. You need to do that. There's another one tomorrow night. Um, In just a few weeks, we're actually having like a huge baptism time during one of our services, and so you need to sign up for that. If you haven't been baptized since giving your life to Jesus, that is your next step is to get water baptized. Okay, but that was last week. Everybody say last week. week. Okay, now say today. today. Today we're looking this way. One of, my, one of my staff actually said, you should trick him and just preach on hell again. <laughs> I was like, I probably should, but that would be so dirty, I'm not gonna do that, okay. Last week we looked this way at hell. That means that this week we look this way at heaven. Today we're talking about heaven. John 14, two, Jesus warms us up to the idea. He says, my father's house has many rooms, If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Everybody say prepare. Prepare. Guys, I have some good news for us, just as we start here, okay? Jesus did not prepare hell for you, but he did prepare heaven for you. Come on, am I in the right place? You want me to preach on hell again? I'll do it, I'll do it, just. Come on, hell was made for the devil, heaven was made for you. Heaven was made for you. But like, the, the same thing that we talked about last week, in the same way that there's misperceptions floating around about what hell is like, there's all these different thoughts, and, and some of them are pretty crazy, the same thing is true for heaven, right? So a lot of people have some pretty crazy thoughts about heaven, what heaven is, what heaven's like, how are we gonna get there? And so before we jump all the way in, let's look at a few of them, okay? So what's heaven like? What does pop culture have to say about heaven? All right, here, so here's what pop culture would say about heaven. Heaven is boring, Right, heaven is one long doctor's office waiting room. You're sitting there, you know, and they're playing Journey, they're playing, you know, Old Run DMC. You know, and then once you move into, now, now you're just sitting on a cloud and there's some Mozart like playing in the background. Like another one, I, I got introduced to this in Looney Tunes, probably like a lot of you. A lot of people think like when we die and we go to heaven that we instantly turn into fat little babies who sit on clouds wearing diapers, playing a harp, rong 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 forever, which sounds like a terrible way of spending eternity. Like, who changes the diapers? Nobody thinks about these things. Nobody thinks about these, okay. All right, that's pop culture, all right? What about Muslims, all right? What about Muslims, all right? So if you're a Muslim, then heaven is about doing good deeds, doing all the right things, right, so that one day, hopefully, Allah will let you into heaven. Like, that's the key word, hopefully. There's no way, really, of being sure. Like, hopefully, he'll do it, and and some of the men will get 72 virgins. And if you've ever wondered what a man-made religion sounds like, that's what a man-made religion sounds like. Um, because, because I guarantee you, it's not heaven for the virgins. <laughs> Nobody ever thinks about that side of the equation. Might be heaven for the dude. What about everybody else who's in heaven? They're like, I'm in hell. What about Mormons? What about Mormons? All right, so if you're a good Mormon, you're gonna get your own planet, okay, as a man. As a man, you're gonna get your own planet. Now, here's the deal, ladies. Here's heaven for you as a Mormon. You get the pleasure of being eternally pregnant. Because it's your job to populate the planet. Welcome to heaven! where you will be pregnant forever, <laughs> forever and ever and ever. All right, what about Buddhist? all right? So for Buddhists, it's a result of accumulated karma, right? So um, I might go to heaven, I might go to hell, I might come back as a hungry ghost, might come back as an animal, might come back as a person. It's kind of like good luck, I just don't really know. Uh, Hindus, uh, Hindus, um, uh, it really depends on what you're thinking about when you die. So you may come back as a billionaire, You may come back as something evil, like a cat. (laughs) Um, You'll you'll go to a heaven plane if you're thinking of God when you die. You'll go to a hell plane if your kids don't do your funeral right. That's real. And when when you kind of put that all into a bucket, do you realize how foolish it is when people say that all religions are the same? Right, so let me just go ahead and cut to the chase. In heaven, you won't get 72 virgins and you aren't getting your own planet, and ladies, good news, you won't be pregnant forever. do not work like that on the other side. You won't be reborn as a monkey. You won't be a floating disembodied spirit on a higher plane of consciousness, right? And I have good news for you, you're not gonna be a, chiper, a chubby, diaper-clad, cloud-sitting, heart-playing baby. You're not. It's not somebody's like, "Oh, I wanted to be that, for like a minute, like that'd be terrible. So here's the real question. What does the Bible have to say about heaven, right? Not not what is, is Oprah, not what is pop culture, not just that one guy in Ohio who died and he wrote a memoir about going to heaven and they made a Hallmark movie about it. No, like, what is actually the truth about heaven? Now, here's the cool thing in the Bible, right? In the Bible, we get what I would just call movie trailers about heaven, right? Like, what's the purpose of a movie trailer? purpose of a movie trailer is to wet your appetite for the real thing, for the full thing. It's to give you just a glimpse, but to not show you the whole thing. And that's what we see time and time and time again in the Bible. So the images that we get in places like Isaiah or Hebrews or first and second Corinthians or Revelation, what they're there, they're there to wet our appetite for the full picture. For the full, they're giving us just a glimpse to get our appetite for the real thing. Now, here's the question: Some of you are like, "Why is it? Why is this such a big deal? Why does it matter?" Because how you view eternity will direct how you spend your time. Right? What you long for determines how you live. Your longing determines your living. Longing. To, here, here's the thing, guys. The, um, we've all heard this thing said before. Like some people are just so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. I don't think it actually works that way yeah some people are just weird let's just acknowledge that but most people just live their life on cruise control and we don't think about eternity we don't think about heaven we don't think about hell until the very end until our mortality touches us until you get diagnosed with cancer until you're on your deathbed until the five seconds after the car crash while you're fading away like these are the times when our mortality touches us and we actually start to consider these things right but the truth is, our longing will determine our living. Now, here's what I know. Most of us aren't living for heaven because we're not longing for heaven. That's because most of us, we don't really have a hunger for heaven. Let's just go ahead and say it. Listen, there's a, one of the problems. We have so many blessings here in America. Most of us are right now are in America. Some of you are in third world countries and second world countries. I know, and this hits you a little bit differently. But for those of us in America, listen, we have been tricked into apathy We've been, we've been lured into complacency. In fact, I felt this just sitting right down here, right before the Lord got up here. You need to tell them that the devil has a plan for them to get them uninterested in heaven because you think you have heaven right now because you're not worrying about where lunch is coming from today. You're not worrying about where you're gonna sleep tonight. You're not worrying about who's gonna protect you, right? But there is a day coming when all of that will be stripped away. There is a day coming where there will be no shelter over your head, where there will be no food on your table, where there will be no followers on on social, where there will be no grandmama there to pray for you. And there will be a day when you will stand naked before the living God. And on that day, I guarantee you, you're going to care about what we're talking about today. And so what we need to start doing is longing. Because if we will long for it, then we'll live for it. And so Abraham himself, Father Abraham, the father of the faith, he was able to do crazy things. He lived in a crazy way. Why? Hebrews eleven ten. 10. Here's what it says. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham was living for heaven. He was living that way. He knew that he was just passing through. So he didn't build a permanent home here. Listen, guys, this isn't forever. You're just passing through. And so we need to look both ways. And we will live for what we long for. And I believe this, guys. It is God's goal today to get us longing for heaven once again. Can you even just say that in your soul? Like, God, would you cause a longing for heaven today? God, break me out of apathy today. So what is heaven like? 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul writes this. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye is seen. No ear is heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And guys, my confession to you today is this. Everything that we're about to talk about, everything I could say, all the pictures I could paint, they're just finger paintings. They don't do it justice. Today is like a three-year-old trying to describe the Mona Lisa. I can't do it. I can't do it any justice. I just pray that somehow God uses feeble speech is connected to eternal truth to cause a longing to stir back up, a hunger, a hunger for the eternal. Because Paul goes on and he writes this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, everybody say then. We will see everything with perfect clarity. And all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, everybody say then. I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So first observation about heaven. In heaven, it'll all make sense. In heaven, it'll all make sense. Paul is saying right here that there is a day coming when all of our questions will be answered. All right, I don't know about you. My first question, day one in heaven is, what's the deal with the dinosaurs? I don't know. Okay, but here's the, here's the thought, guys. Every scientist's hunger for knowledge will be fulfilled in heaven. If you really wanna know what hell is, Hell is is denying Christ in this life because you're seeking these answers here and then you enter into a Christless eternity where the questions never get answered. But when you trust Christ to fill in the blanks, there will come a day when all those blanks are filled in with the right answers. All all, all the scientists' questions about thermodynamics and black holes and the age of the earth, all that sort of stuff, it will all be answered in heaven. Your question about why did my brother die your question about why was I never healed in this life, your question about where was God when I was hurting, all those questions will be answered completely. Paul goes on, he writes in a a second letter to Philippians chapter three, verse 20. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. And on that day, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So, observation number two in heaven, you will get a glorious body. Come on, somebody. I, I t- you know, I mentioned resurrection, the resurrected body, you know, last week, and a few people came up to me and they're like, "Hey, so just real quick, I'm not gonna get this again, right? because <laughs> like, 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 that would not be heaven if I got this. Can I get like a, can I get a glow up? Yes, you're gonna get a glow up." all right? So so what what's it like, all right? Well, we again, we don't fully know, but we get, uh, Jesus is called the first fruits. Jesus is called the, the first one. And so what we do, we look at Jesus. So what, y'all remember that at the end of the gospels when Jesus rises from the dead, right? And he's like shining. And so people kind of recognize him, but kind of don't recognize him. And really strangely, I don't know how it makes sense. He can eat, but then he can walk through walls. Like what happens to the food? Like I don't, I don't know. And then he like floats away, right? Like that's the resurrection. That's what you're going to get. It's a, it's a body that's never gonna break again. You don't have to take vitamins. You don't have to diet. Come on, six pack forever. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I believe this, that we're all gonna look like Pastor Mo and not even have to work out. <laughs> so that's what I'm telling Mo. I'm like, bro, you're wasting all your time, bro. I'm gonna give what you got and I only have to work for it. Mm, and some of y'all are gonna be like, "Oh no, you didn't like me in heaven. My body now you're gonna be, now you're calling. I got all this. It's not gonna work like that. It's not gonna work. Like that. Come on, no back pain. Come on, fellas, no hair loss. Come on, no bunions. No cancer. Hearing restored, eyesight restored, mobility restored, limbs restored. Nothing's broken. Nothing's broken. Nothing's broken." you receive a, a body that will never age, never wrinkle, never fade, because it doesn't work like that anymore, right? Your body will never die again. Somehow, you'll be able to walk through walls and eat. I don't know how it works, but I promise you there will be no complaints in heaven. Amen. On that day, you're gonna be like, okay, like, upgrade. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the question is this. How did Paul know all these things? How, how did Paul become an expert on the mysteries of heaven? Well, he writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse two. He says, I, Paul, was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or I, this is what I love about the honesty of scripture. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether or not I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know this, that I was caught up to paradise And I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. Third observation. In heaven, you will hear and experience things too great for words. In heaven, you will see things that you simply don't have the words to articulate, to describe that thing. You know, John tries later on, but Paul sees some things. I mean, we, we sing songs about this, right? Like, like God's throne sits on a sea of glass as an emerald rainbow. There's, there's thunderings and lightnings proceeding from the throne, yet there's peace in the sea of glass. And, and the angels are there, and the saints are there, and they're singing, and there's, there's these prophetic visions. I mean, I, I, believe, I believe this is why the angels are just encircling the throne. They're like, holy, I don't I have another word. Like, holy. That's all I got. I'm gonna say it again. Holy. Like, and they, they circle around. They get a little different. It's like the diamond turns of God, right? The little, you see just another little reflection or an angle, and they're like, there he goes again. Holy. Like, that's all I got. I, I believe that our human language is so weak that, that it would almost be like blasphemy if we actually tried to describe some of these things because we can't do them justice. That's like, that's like trying to describe the most beautiful thing and just write it in the dirt. Like, it doesn't work. We're too weak to describe some of these things, but you'll get to see them. You'll get to, you'll get to experience them. You'll get to be overwhelmed by them forever. And what happens is all this falls under the banner of what we would call eschatology, okay? So eschatology is uh, the study of the end times. Now, here's the, here's the deal. We'll probably spend more time on this at some point, but listen, whenever people hear eschatology, what they're really thinking is, tell me about the Antichrist. <laughs> Chill out. We're not talking about the Antichrist today. We're skipping all that, Okay. Because here's a beautiful thing, guys. If you're, if you're ever having a bad day, anybody ever have a bad day in church? Not Christians, no, no. <laughs> all of you just like put your hands down. right? It wasn't a trick question. We've all had a bad day, okay? Here's the reality. Sometimes when you get laid off, you hear about wars and rumors of wars, family, ne- family craziness, whatever it is, and you're really down, I wanna encourage you, just go all the way to the back to Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, last, cha- last two chapters of the Bible. Because, because here's what I know. In the midst of the confusion and the chaos, I know who wins. I know who wins. I've read the end of the story. I've read the end of the book, and there's no confusion about it. There's a period at the end of the book. It's done. God writes the story. God wins. So so, so, so what we see in Revelation 21, is a future um, 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 glimpse of, of, of what I'd say, John 14, right? You know, where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In Revelation 21, we actually get to see what Jesus has been preparing for us all this time. So how do we get to Revelation 21, 22? Maybe you're new to Christianity, okay? Let me kind of catch you up. How do we get to Revelation 21, 22? Um, Jesus dies for the sins of the world A weak and broken man. But if you did not know this part, there's another chapter after that, and Jesus does not stay a weak and broken man. Here's the problem. There's a whole lot of guys who are like, I can't take that Christianity thing. That's just weak. It's feminine. It's like, ugh. No, that's because you haven't read the end of the story. Jesus was weak and broken so that we could be strong and made whole. And since he laid down his life freely, he was freely able to take it back up again. And Jesus rose from the dead in victory took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He ascended to heaven in victory and he's coming back in victory. And so in in, in the very beginning of Revelation, but also Revelation 19, John sees Jesus as he is now. And I guarantee you, Jesus as he is now will never take another beating. Jesus was beat for us because he laid his body down. When he took it back up, our Jesus will never take another. Nobody will ever lay a finger on Jesus to hurt him ever again. Revelation 19 shows Jesus as he is right now. I love this. We get this glimpse, right? It's right towards the very end that heaven is opened up, and it says that Jesus comes back riding on the clouds. It's the story that the last 2,000 years, every good story has borrowed from this story, okay? Don't think that the scripture borrowed from them. Scripture predates all the stories because Jesus is there on a white horse, He's the general of heaven's armies. He's the conquering king, and he's coming to wage war with wickedness. And his eyes are on fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name tattooed on his thigh that nobody can understand except for him. He's wearing a white robe that's been dipped in blood, and he has a sword that's coming out of his mouth to strike down the nations. And some people are like, no, 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 Jesus shouldn't do that, he should bring peace absolutely. Jesus brings peace by crushing his enemies. There's no negotiation with evil. He crushes evil. He defeats the enemy. Here's what we know, guys. I I know we should work for peace. We should pray for peace, all that. But here's what the scripture makes very clear. There will be no peace until Jesus returns. There will be no ultimate peace until Jesus returns. There will always be wars and rumors of wars. Right now, what you see over in the Middle East, that's just that's part of the tremors. That's part of the birth pains. It's some prophetic things unrolling. I mean, we actually even see this glimpse that at the very end, the enemy, the devil, will, will rile up the nations of the earth to come against God and his people. And there's the biggest battle that's ever been waged is in Israel. And it never even turns into a battle because God just goes, whoosh, blows them all away. And on that day, listen, that's where we, we, we click over into Revelation 20. On that day, Satan himself... Is thrown into the lake of fire. All the demons are thrown into the lake of fire. So the one who's come against you your whole life, God comes against him. The one who's trying to defeat you, God defeats him permanently forever and throws him away. He is not ruling hell, he is suffering in hell on that day. Not yet, but in Revelation 20. And at the end of Revelation 20, we get this glimpse that that's when the book of life is opened up, right? The sea gives up instead, Hades gives up instead. And those who have died in Christ, who, who still, um, um, I'd say those who have died outside of faith in Christ, who still have the stain, the stain of their rebellion on them, what happens is they come out of Hades, which is kind of like this, this, this experiential hell right now. But there comes a point in the, in, in, the, in the sand, a line in the sand, where God's like, all right, we're done. Time as we've known it is done. Everybody who's been born and died, that has now happened. And on that day, that's when the book is open, the grave, so hell gives up its dead, And on that day, those whose names aren't found written in the book of life are pulled out of Hades and thrown into the lake of fire. In essence, we were talking about it this last week. It's like right now, those who who died outside of faith in Christ with their sins still on them, it's like they're in county lockup. But there's a day coming where they'll be transferred into federal. Those who died with faith in Christ, who their sins are forgiven, who can stand before the Father clean and holy, they will inherit the new heaven. And it's in essence right now, everybody who's died in Christ. And at this point in Revelation 20, it'll be you too. It's like we've been in the four seasons, but then we get promoted up to the penthouse suite. And the problem is this, guys, is that Satan has put this lie out there that heaven is actually going to be the lame place and hell's going to be the lit place. And, and heaven is losing the marketing battle right now. Right, Because the people who are going there don't know enough about it to tell people. And so today, what is heaven like? What is heaven like so we can be messengers of good news? So Revelation 20 ends, and this is John. He sees this with his own eyes. Revelation 21 begins. Verse one, what is heaven like? Then I saw a new heaven. Everybody say new heaven. New heaven. And a new earth. Everybody say new earth. new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So listen, guys. This is, this is heaven. This is, this is future. This is like new heavens, new earth. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of the earth. I'm not saying we shouldn't recycle. I'm not saying we shouldn't all drive electric cars or whatever, okay? We're called to be good stewards of, of what God has given us. But if you worship the earth you will be sorely disappointed because there is coming a day when it's erased and God creates a new one. Listen, it's not like God's gonna try and put the broken pieces back together of this earth. No, no, no. it's beyond repair. Like all the earthquakes, all the volcanoes, all, the, all that is the, is the earth like, ah, fix me, God. And God says on that day, he just throws it away and he recreates a new earth and a new heaven sits on it. Here's what it says, and there will be no more sea. I love it. Sea is what separates people. Sea is what creates the idea of continents and, and people groups and divisions and even originally the skin colors, all that sort of stuff, right? But on that day, there will be no more sea. In other words, God abolishes all the divisions. On that day, we will be one people with each other and one with God. Right. Verse two. Verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I want you to pay attention to the wording of that. The new city, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven comes down from God. Here's what that means. It means that heaven doesn't start here. Does that make sense? Heaven starts there. Here's what that means, and we need to remember this, especially next year. There is no election, and finally the right person finally gets elected. That's the antichrist. When we try and make heaven here on earth, heaven does not start here. Heaven starts there and comes down here. We can never create heaven. Now, should we pray? Should we fast? Should we work? Should we? Absolutely. But you will never elect the right person who will create heaven. There's not this perfect philosophy that finally emerges. There's no Beatles, you know, no Woodstock, peace and love movement that finally unites everybody. That will never happen. We do not build heaven here. God builds heaven there and brings it down here. And it's called the new city, the new Jerusalem. I, listen, I love that it's a city. I love it's not like, and God made a farm. And <laughs> we're all just like walking around, like, what are we? What are we gonna do in a farm, right? But God makes a city. Now here's the deal. The city is better. It's better. Now you're like, no, the suburbs are better. No, 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 hold on. There's a reason why you don't like the city, okay? But the city's better. Think about it, like, city, like, everything's there. All the people are there. Culture, entertainment. You don't have to drive an hour for eggs. (laughs) Right, okay? the city is better in every way except for one. Sin. Sin and in heaven god's going to redeem the urban center in other words if god was running for president he'd be like make the city great again <laughs> right like god's going to redeem the city god's going to god's going to kiss the city and i've heard i've heard about i've heard heaven talked about like this imagine new york city without sin no lack of trust Nobody's gonna steal the rims off your car in heaven, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> nobody's gonna mug you, you don't have to look over your shoulder. Like. And, in fact, the, um, the, later on in Revelation, the, the dimensions of the city are actually laid out 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. And somebody way smarter than me did the math on that, and they said that that's 5,500 times bigger than New York City. So the new city that God creates, where all of God's people will be forever and ever and ever, is 5,500 times bigger than New York City without sin. Without sin, because sin's gone. Sin's gone now. Sin was thrown into the lake of fire. There will be no more sin. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, there will be no more mourning there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. God himself will be there. We will be his people and he will be our God. It is the fulfillment of the longing of God since the garden. Since Adam and Eve rebelled, God has been in pursuit of humanity for all this time and we've been running. But in heaven... We're there forever with the lover of our souls. And the first thing that God is gonna do, is, like any good parent, he's gonna wipe away all the tears from all of his kids. Because heaven is the place of no mores. There's no more death. You know that, guys, maybe you didn't know that. You were never meant to die. That's why it doesn't make sense. Death never makes sense. Um, the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve, and and we've perpetuated it, but sin brings death. You were never meant to die. So when sin is abolished, death is abolished. And death will never touch anything you ever know or love ever again in heaven. And there's no more mourning and there's no more crying. Why? Because we mourn and we cry over pain in our heart and pain in our life. So in heaven, those pains are permanently healed by God. Here's, Here's what I mean to those who are self-medicating because of chronic pain in your body, those days are numbered. To those every morning who are still reeling from the loss of a child, those days are numbered. To those maybe even today you woke up and your trauma of your molestation when you were a child was on you and you couldn't even put one foot in front of the other, and all it is is just sadness. Those days are numbered. And nothing will ever hurt and nothing will ever break in God's presence ever again. He will put all those pieces back together better than birth, forever. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. How it used to work isn't how it works any longer. And God, who's the author and the finisher, is able to finish all of it. He's able to finish all of it. He wrote the story. He's going to put the exclamation point on your life. Because now his kingdom has come and his will is being done. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord of God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Guys, heaven is a very real place with a very real God, with a very real throne, with very real experiences. And the temple for them, in essence, it's not the same, but it's kind of like our idea of church. The, the temple for them, that's where you meant, went to go be with God. Now, here's the, here's the beautiful thing, guys. In heaven, some of you are about to say a big amen. Uh, in heaven, you don't go to church. It's not like one really, like, like why is that guy still giving the giving announcement? Like, or, like we're already here, you know what I'm saying? Somebody. All right, pastor humor, okay. In heaven, you don't go to church, you just go be with God. There's no temple anymore, it's just him. So so you're gonna wake up one morning and your friend is gonna be like, hey, where are you going today? And you're like, ah, I'm thinking about going and spending maybe 100, 200 years just with Jesus, just hanging out. Just gonna talk just for a little bit, Right? Like there's no temple, there's just God. Imagine, imagine today, like we, we have to get on our knees, we pray in faith that God hears. On that day, you won't have to have faith because you'll have sight. Like you'll literally be talking to Jesus and he'll be answering you back. <laughs> <laughs> Flip over, Revelation 22, verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. So what we get is here in the city is a garden. Here's the question. Here's the question. Why did they put Central Park in Manhattan? Because we're image bearers. And something about us knows that in every good city, there needs to be a garden. It's this silent, unknown longing for heaven. And where we broke the garden, God restores the garden. And what God brings in with that restoration is the one thing we lost in the garden, which was the tree of life. God cut Adam and Eve off from the tree of life because listen, you think there was punishment that he removed them from the garden? There's no greater punishment than in your rebellion, letting you eat from the tree of life and live forever in rebellion. God actually was sparing them from eating from the tree, but now sin's been done with and you and I can eat from the tree of life forever and ever and ever. It actually says that every month, like 12, 12, every month it bears its fruit and it gives life. Like Fruit of the Month Club stole that idea. Like they should give royalties back to God. <laughs> Verse three, no longer will there be any curse, amen. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. They is you. They is we will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And it says the most astounding thing that we will see his face. And I don't know about you guys, But sometimes I get so frustrated with the world, and I I, I found myself, even like yesterday, I was like, God, (laughs) I know I can taste and see that the Lord is good today. I know I can draw near to you, and you will draw near to me today. But I long for the day when it doesn't take so much stinking work. Come on. I long for the day when I don't have to fight past my flesh to get to my spirit. I long for the day when I can see him face to face. And guys, here's listen, that's just the new city. That new city is sitting on a new earth. We don't even get a glimpse of what that's like. But what we know is this, what it says of the new city is that the gates are always open. What that means is there's no threat of war. You only close the gates when there's a threat of war. No, God's already conquered. So the gates of the new city are always open. And so you will, you will go and explore. You will come back and worship. You'll go and explore. You'll come back and worship. You'll reconnect. You'll, listen, you'll reconnect with those who went before you in faith. Summer and I will get to see Joseph, who's our son who was stillborn. You'll get to see those who went before you in faith in Christ, And listen, I know how this sounds to the skeptical, but this is not wishful thinking. This is not a crutch. This is the truest of all realities. I love this. I love how C.S. Lewis said this. He said, guys, we have become bent, sinful versions of what God intended. Your deceitfulness, laziness, lust, deafness, disability, and disease are not the real you. They are the temporary perversions that will be eliminated. They're the cancer that the great physician will surgically remove. His redemptive work is such that never again will they return. When you're on the new earth, for the first time, you'll be the person God created you to be. Come on. And this is why... At the last supper table, Jesus grabs his disciples. He's saying, guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Here's actually how he says it. Let's look at it again. John 14, two, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. So here's the, here's the deal. Lots of times we're 2,000 years later, we're kind of in a different culture, different context. And we, we miss the fact that right here, Jesus is using wedding language. Oh, I love this. So during this time, here's how it would play out, okay, in Hebrew culture, is that a man would propose to his fiancee, and if she accepted the proposal, here's what he would say. I'm going to prepare a place for us. And what he would do is he would literally leave, and she didn't know when he was coming back, and he would go back to his father's house. They lived communally, right? And back in that time, they discovered all the homes. They lived communally. He would go back to his father's house where he would literally build a room onto his father's house. And the son couldn't decide when the room was ready. Come on, guys. Let's be real about this. If, if you were engaged and you could decide when the room was ready, you're like, I put a bed there, we're good. <laughs> like, that's all we need, right? That's all. And so the father, the father was the one who decided when the room was ready. He's like, no, you got to treat the ladies right, bro. You got to have the riz. You got to do it right. He's like, all right, so no, you got to do that there, that there. No, keep working on it. 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 It's ready. Now, son, go back and get your bride. And the son would get all of his friends, and they would go in, and lots of times they wanted to surprise her. So they would come in the middle of the night. But she had been waiting and she had been watching and that's why she had oil in her lamp. And she would hold it out the window and say, here I am, here I am, here I am. And they'd blow a trumpet. They'd announce the bridegroom is here. And they would take her and they would parade her back to the father's house where they would have the biggest wedding party you've ever seen. And two would be one forever and ever and ever. And Jesus basically says, hey, you know that whole wedding thing where the bride accepts the groom's invitation and then he leaves, but he's coming back to get her and no one really knows when he's coming back. But at the time they least expect it, he's going to come back because the father's going to tell him to go get his bride and then he surprises her and he carries her away and they're going to be together forever. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Heaven's like that. Heaven's like And at the last supper table as Jesus is unfolding this, Thomas is starting to get nervous because he knows he's talking about heaven. And he's concerned he's not gonna go there. And maybe some of you today share that same concern that Thomas had. And that's why Jesus says this, he goes on in verse four. Hey guys, you know the way to where I'm going and Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the way. Well, Jesus, what, what, what about heaven? How do, how do we get there? How, what, what's the way to heaven? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. Don't get distracted, don't get distracted with all the mess. Don't, what are the details of heaven? What are the details of heaven? No, no, no. I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, I am the narrow door, and no one comes to the Father except through me. God didn't have to make a way, but he made a way, and Jesus is the way. I don't know the way to heaven. Yes, you do, there is one way, the way's name is Jesus the Christ. And in essence, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guys, all you need is me. Have faith with me, have a relationship with me, and I'll take care of the rest. You don't have to build your way to heaven. You don't have to construct that road. I already did it. You don't have to tip the scales of all the good deeds and making the track and doing it just right to finally one day God will let you in. No, 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 I already did all that. And you could never do that, but Jesus did. So Jesus, what's the way? I'm the way, I'm the way. This whole thing at the end of the day, listen, it's not about heaven, it's not even about hell. This whole thing is about Jesus. And he says, Who do you say that I am? And listen, guys, there's a day coming when all the questions will be answered. There's a day coming when all the wrongs will be made right. There's a day coming when you will see the most inexplicable and amazing things. There's a day coming when you'll receive a resurrected body that will never wither or perish or fade. What's the way? Jesus is the way. There's only one door and his name is Jesus. Let's talk to him about it. (sighs) Father, here's what I know. If everything we've just talked about is true, then for all followers of Jesus, death is only paradise in disguise. (laughs) Here's what I know. Any, Any religion that's all somber and sad is not Christianity. Because here's even what Paul says. He says, we grieve, absolutely. But we don't grieve like those without hope. Because we know that death doesn't have the final say anymore. Jesus has the final say. Because death has been defeated. Our great enemy, death, has been defeated. But there's only one way. His name is Jesus. So right now, God, we come up the single solitary door who do we say that you are and the good news is today guys is that door is still available to walk through by faith Mm. so here's the deal some of you today in the room some of you online you came in and you're a little bit like thomas you say i don't know the way i just hope this or i just hope that or i just hope god will do this or and your sins are still on you. The good news is the blood of Jesus has not lost its power. And even right now, you can come to faith, not not by your works, but by grace, through faith, you can be saved. You can walk through this door. And if that's you today, if you say, hey, I need to cross that line of faith, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, just like Thomas did there at that, that last conversation. Today, I'm stepping into faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lift your hand up really high. Come on, just right here. It's awesome. It's awesome. I see it. I see it. I see it. I see it. Oh man. That's so good. There's a lot of us. You can put your hands down. I believe in that movement. I believe that sometimes that we just need to, to express what God is doing in, inside our soul. There's movement in our soul right now, so there needs to be movement in our body. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to lead you guys in a prayer and family of faith around these guys. I want us to pray with them. Let's pray like this. And, and here's the deal, guys. Right here in this moment, you're about to be born again. <laughs> Heaven's about to be opened up to you. This is amazing. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus. Thank you for giving your life for me to forgive me and make me new. So right now, I repent of my sin. I change the way I think about sin. Sin is not my friend. Sin is my enemy. And I turn from it and I turn to Jesus. And right now, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus You are my king, you're my savior, and I'm gonna live for you the rest of my days. I give you my past failures. I give you my present concerns. And I give you my worries about tomorrow. I give you all of me. I'm gonna live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray this over you right now on behalf of that good Good Father, Mm, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I say that you are forgiven, that you are clean, that you are born again, that God is now your Father, that heaven is open to you, and right now, here in this room even, are your family, are your brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. You have a new family now, all because of Jesus bless you with that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give praise to God.